There has to be someone who is the mediator and the center of your marriage. And if he's not there, it's not going to work. You already know who it is, but I want to read you Ephesians 5, 22, 25, and then verses 31 through 32. Catch the, catch the reoccurring theme and then the illustration in verse 32. Here it is. It says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Really quick, I do a ton of weddings. I do weddings all the time. And I think this is the most important part of any wedding ceremony is when the dad walks the bride down the aisle and he looks at the man and I say, who gives this bride in marriage? And when he looks at me and he says, her mother and I, and she walks away. Listen, that is not a ceremonious marriage thing. That is a symbol of that person leaving father and mother and friends and being united with their spouse and becoming one as the most important relationship on earth. So if you are married, your most important earthly relationship is your spouse. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. It's not your sister. It's not your friends. When you get married, when your friends come to you and say, well, you don't hang out with me anymore after you got married, that's a healthy marriage. When your spouse comes to you and says, you talk to your mom more than you talk to me, that's an unhealthy marriage. Because you are leaving and uniting and becoming one. Parents, stay out of your kids' marriages. Kids, quit inviting people into your marriages. You leave, unite, and become one. I feel, I feel a little vibe from you all. Is this a little intense for you? I don't have time to pull punches when it comes to marriage. We, listen, I'm not going to mess around with you today. I'm going to give it to you very, very, very straight because I think this is a very serious topic that we have to address, okay? So, husbands of your wives, Christ, as the scriptures say, verse 31, as a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but is an illustration. Here's your picture of the way Christ and the church are one. It's a powerful illustration. Okay, let me, let me illustrate it for you in the form of a story. Uh, we, we went to the grocery store mid last week, and I just, uh, I went crazy. They had no bread, so I bought zebra cakes. Kind of the same thing, right? Like, there was no bread, so I bought zebra cakes. I mean, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in the middle of a storm. I, they both have bread in them, right? So uh, I, bought a, I bought like four boxes of zebra cakes, actually, because it kind of equivalent one, one loaf in it or mine. So we're at the house, and Canaan is trying to get some zebra cakes. And so he goes to his mom, and he says, Mommy, says, can I, can I have some more zebra cakes? And she says, no, you've eaten nine of them. Like, you can't, you can't have any more. And so he says, oh, and, and then he comes over to me. And he says, Daddy, can I have some more zebra cakes? You're about to see the difference between a rookie and a veteran husband right here. A rookie says, sure, son, go ahead. Enjoy all that you want. A veteran says, what did your mother say? So I said to him, what did your mother say? 
And he was like, mm, it gets all wormy on me. And I'm like, I can't really remember. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I said, no, no, no. Let, let's go ask your mom. And find, no, don't ask mommy. Don't ask mommy. But, but what am I teaching him? I'm teaching him that there is a relationship above him that governs my relationship with him. What is Paul teaching us in Ephesians chapter 5? That there is a relationship above your marriage that should govern your marriage. I'll read it to you this way. He says, "As wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. If you're not walking with the Lord, you don't know how to live in submission. Ladies, if you you don't know how to submit to the Lord, you're never going to be able to honor and respect your husband the way Scripture calls you to. Man, it says love your wives just as Christ loves the church. If you don't know how Christ loves the church, you can't love your wife properly. You have to see here that the model is Christ. The most important relationship is Christ. And what does he give an illustration? He said it is like how Christ and the church are one. In other words, if you're not walking with Christ, you're like a church without Jesus. Well, how good is that? What is that worth? What do we worship? What do we celebrate? What do we do? The most important relationship that you can have is a relationship, when you are married, is a relationship with Jesus. And I'm just going to talk to Christians for one second. You are in here, you're a follower of Jesus, you declare that you are a follower of Jesus, and you don't have a relationship walking daily with Jesus right now. You are cheating your spouse. You're not giving them the greatest gift that you can give them, which is a growing thriving relationship with Jesus. I'll say it another way. If the most important relationship that you cultivate is with your spouse, that's not called love. That's called idolatry. Because you've placed them above your relationship with Jesus. Here's what happens when you do that. You have an expectation on them to satisfy you in ways that they're not capable of satisfying you. So then when they begin to disappoint you, you resent them for it, you're angry with them about it, or you withdraw from them because they're not satisfying you in a way that only Christ can satisfy you. But if you're not walking with Christ, you're not equipped to love, to honor, and to respect your spouse the way you need to be loving and honoring and respecting your spouse. The greatest relationship, the most important important relationship that you can have is your relationship with Jesus. You owe your spouse. Look, I'm talking to Christians. If you're not a Christian in here, our first step is to get you saved. But if you are a Christian in here, the greatest gift, you not, not even a gift, you owe your spouse a thriving, growing relationship with Jesus. You do. Because here, here's the thing. There are times where Anna really wishes that I would change something, and she's not going to change me. I'm frustrated. I'm rooted. I'm stubborn. I'm angry about something. And then I'll go, and I'll meet with God in the morning, and I'll start talking to the Lord, and I'll spend time in prayer, and I'll read Scripture, and I'll get up, and I'll say, man to apologize again because the Lord is working on me, and when she can't fix me, the Holy Spirit can fix me. The Holy Spirit's working in me. But if I don't have that governing my life, what is she to trust? On the flip side, ladies, what is your man to trust if you're not walking with the Holy Spirit? If you're not walking with the Lord, 
He's like, man, I just, there have been times where Anna would do something that frustrated me. And I thought, you know what? I'm not even going to say anything about it. I'm going to keep my mouth closed and I'm going to pray about this thing. And I would spend prayer. And I kid you not, she would come to me middle of the afternoon. She did this. Matter of fact, she's not in here. She doesn't like me anymore. She's out there somewhere. No, she's she's got her baby somewhere. But this happened on, I think, Saturday. She came to me and said, hey, the Lord spoke to my heart. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, you know? Like, there's no greater music to your spouse's ears than when you go to them and say, the Lord spoke to my heart. I haven't had as good of an attitude as I should. I haven't thanked you or appreciated you as much as I should. I haven't encouraged you as much as I should. That's what the Lord does. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. That's, That's not your spouse's role. Your spouse shouldn't have to police you. The Holy Spirit should be policing you. Your spouse should not be correcting you all the time. The Lord should be correcting you all the time. But if that's not active, and if that's not growing, and if that's not the center of your life, what are they to trust? Paul says, look, it is about being like Christ to your spouse. So our role is to grow with Christ so that I can be what I need to be with my spouse. And, and by the way, uh, let me just shoot you really, really straight. Uh, for those of you that are younger, if you are in a relationship that is toxic, it is screaming, it is fighting, it is belittling, it is name calling, it's jealousy, there's no trust, there's always explosion, and you are not married. Listen, if you are married, Scripture gives you different instruction here. But if you are not married and you are in a toxic, volatile, terrible relationship, explosive fighting, screaming and yelling, name-calling, no trust, everything else, let me give you one solution. Break up. Break up. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This is the person I'm supposed to be with. Great. Break up with them now and spend a year working on yourself to heal what you need to heal, to deal with what you need to deal with, so that you can be a healthy person in a healthy relationship with them. But you will, when you put two toxic things in a bowl, what do you get? A bowl of toxicity. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And you can't do the personal work that you need to do so that you can be everything that you need to be in that relationship. If it is toxic now, listen, I I hear this crazy talk all the time. I got one amen in here. It is quiet in here. But here's what I know. If you're amening me, you're with me. If you're quiet on me, I got you. And I want you to hear this right now. If it is toxic now, marriage doesn't fix it. I hear this crazy stuff. Oh, oh man, we scream and yell and we fight and I think we just need to get married. (laughs) No, 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 no. You, You all laugh, but I've heard married people say before, man, we scream, we yell, we fight, we can't get along. Maybe having a kid will fix it. Listen, I got three of them and I can tell you they don't fix nothing. They break everything. 
They destroy, they make it far more stressful. Break up. You know, I heard a pastor, I was at a, I was in youth ministry and I was dating a girl I shouldn't have been dating. And he came up and he was preaching on relationships and he said, scripture says you should not be unequally yoked with a non-believer. So if you're in here today and you're dating someone that doesn't believe in Jesus, you're not in God's will for your life and you need to break up with them. And I was like, who is this cat think he is? That's some of the most ridiculous wisdom I've ever heard in my life. Why was I mad? Because I was dating someone who wasn't a believer. It was a terrible relationship. It was one I should have never been in. And looking back on it, I was sitting where you're sitting, and I was in a toxic relationship, and someone said, break up that relationship. And I got mad, I got frustrated, and I got annoyed, and it was exactly what I needed to hear. Listen to me. If it is toxic, it is volatile, it is explosive, and it is a disaster, and it's unhealthy, and you aren't married, break it off. You can heal and then come back together. Okay, now, you want something a little softer? Let's talk about uh, Fight Club. First rule of Fight Club, okay? Number one rule of Fight Club, if you're going to learn how to fight, if you're going to learn how to fight fair, if you're going to have a healthy relationship, is this, this is rule number one, avoid fighting at all costs. Kind of funny, but it's very true. If you want to fight fair and have a healthy marriage, Avoid fighting at all costs. Now listen to me. I'm not talking about conflict. There's a huge difference in conflict and in fighting. Conflict, you have to have conflict in a marriage. You have, the scariest ones to me are like, oh, we never fight. We're always great. Everything's good. That means somebody's stuffing something. That means someone's a super stuffer about to explode one day, Right? You have to have conflict. But when I say conflict, I don't mean you got to scream and yell at each other. But you have to know how to have conflict. You go from conflict to fighting when, the, when winning becomes more important than resolving the issue. So you go from conflict, we're going to solve a problem together, to fighting when it becomes more about, I just want to win and I want to beat you at all costs. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Can I, um, will you two help me? Corey and Kelsey, will you guys help me? Please, please. I know I didn't tell you about this. Come on, come on. Come on up stage. Come on up here. Come on. Hey, give them a hand really, really quickly. <laughs> I think I've done this one time before, but I couldn't remember, and it just kind of hit me. Come on. Here's what I want you guys to do. You guys are going to have a really good fight on stage, okay? We're going to put it on display. Here's what I want. Corey, you're right here, built like Adonis, looks like a fighter, ready to go. Kelsey, you're right here. She's got a lot of feisty in her, I can tell. She's ready to fight. I am the problem. Here's what we make the mistake of doing. We allow the problem to be the referee. We allow the problem to decide who wins. So in that case, I'm saying, Corey, I've got you in the blue corner. Kelsey, got you in the red corner. I want you guys to fight. And whoever wins, I will raise the hand of the winner, right? That's Fighting. That's called fighting when I allow the problem to become the referee and determine who wins. This is conflict. This is healthy. This is how you grow. Get over here. You're with her. You guys rock arm in arm together. You guys are, you guys are fighting me. There you go. Yeah, you face me. Now, I'm the problem. You two are teamed up, and you're trying to knock me out. I'd be done, right? Two are better than one. Two are stronger than one. Do you see the difference? When we allow the problem to be the referee, we start fighting. 
It's me versus you, and I want to win, and the kids may be scared, the china may be broke, the TV may be in the flower bed, and the neighbors may be hiding, but I won that thing. And they know I won, and she knows I won. Versus saying, hey, let's come together and let's identify the problem. Let's, let's beat the problem together. You guys did a great job. Give them a hand one more time. You have to have conflict, but you want to avoid fighting at all costs. Let me read you some really rich scripture. I'm just preaching to myself here. Proverbs 11:29. Think about this for a second. Please let this soak in. Families, let this soak in. Those who bring trouble on their families inherit the wind. Those who bring trouble on their families inherit the wind. In other words, if all you do is cause fighting and quarreling and yelling and screaming, you know what you inherit? Nothing. The wind. There's no inheritance for you. You're not building anything with that. What does he say? The fool will be servant to the wise. What do we do instead? Proverbs 20, verse 3. Men, will you circle this, especially you big, strong, alpha males? We live in a culture that celebrates men who are immature, obnoxious, and want to fight all the time. We really do. Tough guys. Oh, knock him out. Oh, you cut me off. He's lucky I don't pull him over and drag him out of his car. That's, that's what we see as tough guys, right? Listen, listen to this. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is an honor for a man to stay out of a fight. It is an honor for a man to avoid a quarrel. Only fools, that's good, only fools insist on quarreling. Only a foolish man is walking around looking for a fight. Only a foolish man is looking to throw barbs at his wife and to pick a fight with his wife. Only a foolish woman is looking for some little dig or some little thing that she can bring up and she can remind him of his own inadequacy that he hasn't done in years and years and years. Only fools do those things. It is an honor for a man to avoid a fight. If, if you're anything like me, that's challenging. I'm fiery if you can't tell. I'm ready to jump in. But the Lord's been working on my heart to realize it is an honor. It is an honor when I feel a frustration rise up in me to, to stop, to slow down and say, Luke, it's an honor. Don't inherit the wind today. Look, don't let your family inherit the wind. Don't leave your kids a big gust of air. Inherit something more. It's an honor to avoid a fight. Proverbs 17, 14 says, starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before a dispute breaks out. Stop before it goes there. You can feel it. You can sense it. You know when tensions are running high. We did that last week. We looked at Joseph and said, man, whew, it's been a tough week. It's been a challenging week. Tensions are running high. We're both probably one smart comment away from just blowing this house up. Let's not inherit the wind. Let's not make this thing go crazy. I'm sorry. You're sorry. Let's move on. And then how do we avoid a fight? So you avoid fights at all costs. What's our mindset to avoid fights? I love Ephesians 4 verse 2. And this is so good. Always be humble and gentle. 
be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Did you, did you catch that? Making allowances for faults. It did not say holding them accountable for every fault. It's a different A word. It's not accountable for every fault, but making allowances for their faults because of your love. There is a phrase that has become common language in our home. In fact, I want you to say it with me. I'll give it to you, and then I want you to join me with it. It is this phrase, I am just as difficult to love. Oh, you seem real excited about that one. I am just as difficult as my spouse to love. I am just as difficult to love. Let, let's say it together at the count of three. One, two, three. I am just as difficult to love. Newsflash for you, you are not perfect. Newsflash for you, your spouse is not so much more difficult to love that you are just as difficult. Yeah, but they don't know how to load the dishwasher properly. You're just as difficult. Yeah, but they always get hung up when I take the trash out, but I don't put a bag back in, so they're always mad at me. You are just as difficult to love when he walks in the door and he leaves his shoes in front of the door every single day. You're just as difficult to love. Yeah, but she doesn't fold the laundry. She does it and then leaves it all over the house clean. You're just as difficult to love. You are just as difficult to love as your spouse. When you are willing to be gentle and humble and adopt that mindset, you will begin making allowances for their faults. When your mindset is, they're the problem, I'm perfect, when will they ever get it right? You don't make allowances for each other. You fight all the time. You're frustrated all the time. You're annoyed all the time. Okay, conflict guidelines. Where am I at? Not bad. We're, five minutes. We're, we're rolling, okay? Uh, here's some conflict guidelines for you. How to fight and how to fight fair. One thing we said first is who has to be the mediator, the governor, the relationship above our marriage? It has to be Christ. When we are in conflict, we're fighting the problem. When we're fighting, we're allowing the problem to be the referee. I want to avoid fighting at all costs. I want to make allowances for my spouse and recognize I am just as difficult to love as they are. And then I want to have some guidelines that I can follow that direct me when we are in conflict, when things do get intense. And it's two verses. I love them. These are some of the greatest marriage verses in Scripture. James 1, 19 through 20. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be, three things, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Word angry, you can also translate offended. I kind of like that a little better. Slow to get offended. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and don't get offended. Verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. When you are getting angry in your flesh, you are quenching God's desire for your marriage. 
when you feel your flesh rise up, when you feel that smart aleck comment on the tip of your tongue, when you feel that jab or that thing from the past that reminds you of now that you want to bring up and you want to throw at him or you want to load the gun and shoot him with, when you have that human anger rare up, you are not honoring God's desire for your marriage. So what do I do? Conflict guidelines. I am quick to listen. I'm slow to speak. And I'm not going to get offended. Let's walk through all three. Quick to listen. Proverbs 18, verse 3. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is to his folly and shame. Proverbs 21, 23 says, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. My goodness, that is some great biblical wisdom for some of us. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. And you will stay out of trouble. There's an elderly couple who got pulled over for driving dangerously slow on 45 Highway. And as they got pulled over, the officer was walking up to the car. And, and as he was rolling down his window, we'll call him Richard and Karen. Uh, the officer heard Karen say to Richard, I've been trying to tell you about your driving. And, and Richard bit back and he said, you just be quiet. I know how to drive. And so the officer gets to the window and he says, sir, he said, uh, I pulled you over for driving dangerously slow on 45 Highway. And he said, what are you talking about? I was going the speed limit. And he said, no, sir, you were going 45 miles an hour. And he said, exactly. And he pointed to the sign that said Interstate 45. And he said, I've been going to the speed limit. About that time, he recognized the, the wife. And he said, sir, what's wrong with your wife? Her eyes were as big as saucers. She was clenching the, the, the front of the, the dash. And she was freaked out. He said, what's wrong with your wife? And he said, I don't know. She's been like that ever since we got on FM 149. <laughs> It'll sink in in a minute. You'll catch it. Come on, give me a, where's my drummer for a da ching on corny pastor jokes, right? You got to listen. Let me just, let me encourage you with something. Your wife actually has good things to say to you. There's actually some really good truth in listening. Your husband has some wisdom to share with you. He's got good things to say to you. He's got something worth listening to. The problem is instead of being quick to listen, we're quick to get our point in. Instead of being quick to listen and just hear what they're trying to communicate, we're already quick to speak, and I already know what I'm going to say because the problem's the referee, and it's going to declare me the victor because I got a better one than you on it. But James says you have to be quick to listen. How are you listening to your spouse? How are you listening to what they're... Are you listening to them emotionally? Do you hear what they're saying? Are you meeting them in their emotion? Or are you just so quick to tell them what you think they need to hear? And then he says, be slow to speak. Let me clarify this really quick because slow to speak does not mean you don't talk. It means you count your words. It means you're thinking through what you're saying. It uses the same language as Proverbs 17, 28. It says a truly wise person. Sorry, guys, I jumped on you a little bit. There you go. Well, look at you guys go. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Ooh, I love James 1.26. If you claim to be religious... 
You claim to be a follower of Jesus, but you don't control your tongue. You're fooling yourself. You're lying to yourself. And your religion is worthless. It means it's not doing anything for you. He goes on to say, out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brothers, say it's not so. Say it is not so that you show up here and you sing these beautiful songs of yes, I will, I will choose to praise, and then go home and call your spouse names. Say it is not so, because if that's the case, then what is happening here is worthless to you. It's not changing you. It's not working in you. But when we are slow to speak, when we pause for a moment and say, how is this going to land in the totality of my marriage? You know, my daughter, um, I love her so much. She is just, she is my little girl. She had this brilliant idea to create a swimming pool in the upstairs sink for her Barbies. So she plugged up the sink. And when she plugged up the sink, she turned on the water and she played for a little bit and it was really cute. And then she was done playing and she left and she went to the playroom and she, you know, who, who, who would think to turn off the water, right? I mean, what's, what's the point, right? It's just, it's just another step that I don't want to mess with. So she leaves the water running and I get this call from Anna about an hour later that says, oh, she's screaming on the phone. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Now that can mean one of two things. That can either mean like the wrong person didn't get a rose on The Bachelor, or it can actually mean there is an emergency, right? We've experienced both, right? A meeting, I'm in the middle of a meeting and I'm like, hang on, I got to stop this meeting. My wife's calling me and she's like, oh my gosh, I tried to thaw chicken tonight, but it's not thawed. What are we going to eat for dinner? I love you. (laughs) I'll talk to you in a minute. Okay. And then, no, this time it was a major emergency. She said, I can see water dripping from the ceiling onto the floor. You never, ever want to hear that, right? So I was like, okay, I'll be home in 30 minutes. I rushed home. When I opened up the garage, there were puddles of water in the middle of my garage, like from the second floor to the first floor. Now, listen, I've watched enough Fixer Upper to know how to handle these situations. So I grabbed a sledgehammer and a pry bar, and I started tearing out everything. I mean, I just, I didn't even blink. I was like, oh, yeah, it's that time I had this sledgehammer. I was busting out. I busted out all the ceiling. I went in the laundry room, busted out all the laundry room. I was busting out this little storage room that we have, and I mean, I tore my house to pieces. I felt so good about it. I was like, man, I'm going to fix this all up, and I'm going to tear all this up. And so then I got into a bind, and I called Mike Consford. Thank God for Mike Consford. Everybody needs a mic concert. I said, hey man, uh, I, I'm in a bit of a bind. Do you think you can swing by here? So he comes over after work and he's, he's looking at everything. And he's, he's a construction guy. You need anything fixed, Mike knows how to do it. And he's looking, he's looking at all of it and he's like, oh man, I, I can just tell. He's very he's mild-mannered. If you know Mike, you're going to laugh at what he said to me. And so then he, he starts talking to me about cutting out sheetrock and getting it prepared. And he's like, you know, you may want to cut out a square over there so that you have something to measure and to match and put it in. And I'm like, okay, I, I get it. And I looked at him in the middle of it and I said, hey, man, uh, I said, do you think I went a little overboard on, on all of this? <laughs> and <laughs> this is Mike. He, he looked at me and he said, yeah, I think you did. <laughs> if you know Mike, that means you absolutely went way over the top. Like, what were you thinking? He, looked, he said, yeah. Yeah, I think he did. And I remember I was cutting out this sheetrock, and I was thinking to myself, you know, 
Had I not just started smashing away with a sledgehammer, I could have like been like, hey, you know what? Sheetrock's a four by eight, you know, piece of sheetrock. I can cut a four by four square right here, and then that would fit perfect. And then I could cut a two by four square right here and another two by four square. And I, but I didn't even think. What did I do? I picked up a sledgehammer and I started smashing, and the mess was far greater than if I would have just slowed down and focused on it for a little bit. Do you realize we do the same thing in our marriage? We hear something and we're not slow to speak. We pick up the sledgehammer and we just start hammering everything. Like I'm not waiting to think this thing out or to be smart here. I just want to smash something. What can I say that's going to crush something? What can I say that's going to destroy something? I have to be slow to speak. Count your words, a gentle, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. And then number three, don't get offended. Offense leads to anger every time. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Proverbs 14, 17 says, short-tempered people do foolish things and schemers are hated. And then Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. It says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Let, let me wrap up right here. That, that's pretty self-explanatory. You got if, if you want to measure offense, measure it on the, the measuring stick of Jesus. So when we get offended, it's because of this right here. When I start thinking about what Jesus did for me, I can't get offended. When I start thinking about the, the sin that he's paid for me, the price that he's paid for me, all that he's done for me, how on earth am I to get offended when Jesus died for me and all of the sin in my life? But I want to land here because I think this is important. We have talked about a lot of intense stuff. And if your marriage is facing challenges right now, uh, this can be a, a real wake-up call. But here's where I want to leave it. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. This is so important. And, and let this soak in more than just a pastor reading scripture. Let this enter your spirit right now. Open your heart to what God's word says. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Verse 32, instead be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, extending forgiveness to one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Get rid of the junk. Get rid of the junk. Get rid of the bitterness, get rid of the anger, get rid of the frustration. But they did this. Well, you're just as difficult to love. Would you just make a commitment before you walk out these doors? Or maybe it's not the right place for you to do it here. Maybe you go out and you sit in the car in the parking garage and you look at each other and you just say, hey, listen, we're going to get rid of all the junk. We're just going to get rid of the rage, get rid of the anger, get rid of the bitterness, get rid of the slander, get rid of the harsh words. We're going to forgive one another. We're going to be tender-hearted. We're going to be kind. We're going to mind the rules of conflict. We're going to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get offended. We're not going to get offended at all, and we're going to work on this. You can't do it without a clean slate. Get rid of it. 
let go. You know, we had this, this rule where in our house, I adopted a rule. I got so sick of when you have three kids and you got clothes and third, you know, third part hand-me-downs and storage box. We just had so much junk. I said, here's the rule. If we haven't used it in a year and it costs less than 20 bucks, we're throwing it out. It's a great rule. If it costs less than $20 and we haven't touched it in a year, it's gone. We don't need it. it. You would be shocked. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you're hoarders too. But you would be shocked at the amount of junk that we had in storage bins that we didn't need at all. You need to do the same thing with your marriage. Hey, that was years ago. Hey, that was months ago. Hey, that was last week, and we just heard a message, and we're going res- to get rid of the junk between us, and we're going to start fresh. 